Hello and welcome to NetCast, where we are taking an in-depth approach to sharing the good news about Jesus Christ. I am your host, Mark Hatfield, and I hope that you are encouraged by these studies in the Word of God. We invite your feedback and would love to have you as a regular part of our listening audience. Please stay with us for today's message. Hello, NetCast friends, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 4 of the NetCast Podcast. I am thankful for the opportunity to share this series that we're currently working through, Lessons on the Leadership of the Holy Spirit. Thus far, we have explored the Old Testament and its promises about the Holy Spirit, and we have started to show how those promises came to pass under the New Covenant. In our last episode, we introduced the subject of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in today's message, we're going to discover more of what the New Testament says about this blessing that we receive during our new birth into Christ. Before we dive in, I want to address the trivia question from the last episode. And I asked, in 1 Corinthians 3.16, who does Paul say is the temple of the Holy Spirit? We did not receive any listener response, so I'm going to read the passage, and then I'll provide the answer. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16, Paul wrote to the Christians in Corinth, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? To answer our question, Paul refers to all Christians as the temple of God. And the way that they know they are the temple of God is because the Spirit of God dwells in those who are in Christ. Our journey today continues where we left off in Acts chapter 2. So grab your Bible if you're able and follow along in our study on the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter shared the gospel with the Jews in Jerusalem on the Pentecost following Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and he explained to them what they needed to do to have their sins remitted and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He said in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Repentance, which is a change of heart resulting in a change of our actions, is a major step in coming to Jesus. It not only says that we are sorry for our wrongs committed, but that we are ready to dedicate our life to right living. Baptism, then, is where we surrender and allow our old self to be buried with Christ in a likeness of his death for the forgiveness of our sins, and when we are raised up out of the water, we start our new life in Christ. Afterwards, it says, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter said that the gift of the Holy Spirit was a promise to anyone that the Lord our God would call to himself. This calling comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those that respond in obedience to the call will be saved and have this wonderful gift. Is this the only place where this teaching can be found? Not at all. Turn over one chapter to Acts chapter 3 and verse 19 where we read, Therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Here we see the parallel between Acts 2.38 and this passage. If we repent and return to a right relationship with the Lord, we will have his refreshing presence. Now, don't stop here. Go to Acts chapter 5 and verse 32, where we see, And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, 
whom God has given to those who obey him. This explains what the other two verses was already teaching. First, that we receive the Holy Spirit as a gift. And second, that this all occurs when we obey the gospel. We could continue to take note of parallel passages along these lines throughout the New Testament, but our topic of study today is specifically the gift of the Holy Spirit. If we reflect just on the passages we have shared so far, we learn that in each context we are taught that we must repent and return by being baptized and have our sins forgiven so that we can have the refreshing presence of the Lord, which is the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit given to those that obey the gospel. Now, some will argue that the as many as phrase, the word in Greek is hosoi, I'm not an expert in Greek, regarding those whom the Lord our God will call, means that the application of the promise of the Holy Spirit or the gift of the Holy Spirit was limited, and therefore it must be the miraculous gift of the Holy Spirit that's under consideration. Well, the problem is that other passages that use this same phrase and grammatical structure are referring not to a limited number, but literally as many as that are under consideration in the context. And the gospel is for all, and everyone that heeds the call of the gospel receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the teaching of the New Testament. Listen to John chapter 1 and verse 12 for another example of this Greek structure, where the exact same words are used. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. That as many as doesn't limit the amount of people that can come to Jesus, but literally says anyone and everyone that receives him, they have the right to become a child of God. Next, consider Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. All of us who, that is as many as, all of us who, as many as, have been baptized into Christ Jesus. So we see that anyone who's willing to be baptized is going to be saved. Finally, look at Galatians 3.27. All of you who, that is, as many as, were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. Again, the as many as phrase is not a limiter, but an open door to any and all that will come in humble obedience to the Lord to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, some take the position that the gift of the Holy Spirit is merely salvation, or that it is coupled with the forgiveness of sins. One author stated, hence, the gift of the Holy Spirit means the same thing as the times of refreshing from Acts 3.19, he's referring. The gift of the Holy Spirit was the forgiveness of their sins. The times of refreshing, which is figurative language, is an equivalent term. What a refreshing it is to be forgiven of our sins, redeemed and made heirs of God, end quote. The only problem is that Peter made salvation a gift as a result of our repentance and baptism when he preached that first gospel sermon. After we have already received the forgiveness of our sins, then we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And J.W. McGarvey, a highly respected teacher in his work, said it best when describing the gift of the Holy Spirit. The expression means the Holy Spirit as a gift. And the reference is to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit by which we bring forth the fruit of the Spirit and without which we are not of Christ, end quote. If we took a literal interpretation of Acts 3.19, it would be continuous breath recovery from the appearance and abiding presence of the Lord through the Holy Spirit. Now, before you think that I'm taking too many liberties with that text, let us turn to Romans 8 and verse 9. Here's what Paul said. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. 
But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. In this one verse, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ. Then Paul makes the bold statement that if anyone does not have the Holy Spirit in them, we cannot belong to Christ. This is how we can know whether we are operating in the flesh or in the Spirit, if we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. This helps us to understand what Jesus meant when he said, The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you, listen, and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Jesus would come to us and be in us, how? Through the Holy Spirit. Then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 8, we get more insight into how the Spirit of God is given as a gift. For God has not called us, Paul wrote, for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Our purity and sanctification are made real by the giving of the Holy Spirit to us as a gift. And when the Bible references the giving of the Spirit of God or the Spirit of Christ, it is in direct reference to the giving of the Holy Spirit. To prove this, take note of Acts chapter 16, verses 6 and 7. It reads, They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now let's pause for a moment. Notice it says they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now continue reading. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. Notice how the Spirit of Jesus and the Holy Spirit are on an equal level here. When it says the Holy Spirit would not allow them or forbade them to speak in Asia, it was the Spirit of Christ that was doing that. Did you catch that the Holy Spirit here is equated with the Spirit of Jesus? This may seem like a strange text to go to in order to prove our point, but it is ideal for demonstrating that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of God. Let's talk at great length about the phrase, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Some that read this phrase conclude that the gift mentioned here is something from the Holy Spirit, and that it is not in reference to the Holy Spirit himself as the gift. Now we're going to break this down and make it easy to understand as we possibly can. There are references in the New Testament to the gift of God, to the gift of Christ, and to the gift of the Holy Spirit. In John 4.10, for example, we read about the gift of God. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. We studied that last time in our previous episode. To read about the gift of Christ, we turn to Ephesians 4 and verse 7. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And then finally in Acts 2.38, we read about the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, some students of the Bible propose that the gift of the Holy Spirit must be a gift from the Spirit, since other passages using this same Greek structure refer to a gift from God and a gift from Christ. The problem is that they fail to notice that language authorities agree that the definite article in Acts 2.38 is found in that context for a reason. Peter said the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
this would be given to those that were baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Well, what is this thing? Oddly enough, if you go back and review both contexts where we referred to the gift of God and the gift of Christ just a moment ago, these were speaking directly about the giving of the Holy Spirit in their own context. So the gift of God and the gift of Christ is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Again, in Acts chapter 5 and verse 32, the gift is the Holy Spirit. How do we know that? Notice it says, whom God has given to those who obey him. That personal pronoun identifies that it is the Spirit himself. In Luke chapter 11 and verse 13, we read, If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We call on the name of the Lord and we ask him for that when we show our desire for this wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit by responding in obedience to the gospel. Have you obeyed the gospel? Just something to think about as we continue. Let us go even deeper with our research. Consider what Bible scholars or preachers or authorities have had to say about the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thayer, in the Greek-English lexicon of New Testament words, in page 161, says, Of the thing that's given, the Holy Ghost. Again, using the King James reference there. In Arton Gingrich, Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament, page 210, it says they receive the Spirit as the gift. Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words, page 147, says, The gift of the Holy Ghost, the gift is the Holy Ghost himself. And then Kistemaker, in the commentary on Acts, said, Of the Holy Spirit with the gift means the gift, namely, the Holy Spirit himself. Lenski says that the genitive is appositional, so here the gift is the Holy Spirit. He also said that the construction of the grammar is parallel to Acts 2.33, where the promise of the Holy Spirit means the promise which is the Spirit. And that comes from the interpretation of the Acts of the Apostles that Lenski wrote. And then Moses Lard in Lard's Quarterly, October 1864, on page 104, said this, Certainly the gift of the Holy Spirit is the Spirit itself that is given. The common version of the passage in the King James Version is very faulty, faulty inasmuch as it completely hides the true sense from the common reader. Render it as follows, and all is clear, and the Holy Spirit will be given you. A child can understand this, and it expresses the exact import of the original. While there are certainly a multiplicity of differing views in the world today, the one thing that overrides any word of man is the word of God. His word reveals the truth in its entirety about the Holy Spirit and this gift under consideration. Let us now turn our attention to Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 5. In this passage, Paul asks an important question that should shed some light on the gift of the Holy Spirit. The text reads, It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus, and he found some disciples. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, No, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who is coming after him, that is, in Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now first, focus on Paul's question about whether or not these disciples had received the Holy Spirit when they believed. 
It wasn't a gift from the Holy Spirit, but the Spirit himself. The reply offered allows us to see at what point a recipient would be given this gift. They told Paul that they knew nothing about the Holy Spirit. Paul then connects our baptism to the place where we should have expected to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit by asking them into what had they been baptized. This also makes baptism a part of believing. These disciples explained that they were baptized into John's baptism, and Paul shared with them the difference between John's baptism and believing on Jesus and being baptized in his name. When they heard it, the text says they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They wanted to have the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the only way to have it is to come in obedience to the gospel, repenting of our sins, and being baptized in the name of Jesus. There are some who will point out that in Acts 19.6 that Paul had to lay his hands on them in order for them to receive the Holy Spirit. But let's read that verse. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. The issue is that many fail to differentiate the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is given at baptism into Christ, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which were given by the laying on of the apostles' hands. Did Acts 2.38 say anything about needing an apostle to lay hands on you in order to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? No, not at all. All that was required to receive this gift was repentance and baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gifts of the Spirit, on the other hand, were given through the laying on of the apostles' hands and served a very specific purpose in the early church prior to the time when they would cease and no longer be necessary. There are no apostles today to lay hands on people, so at the close of the apostolic age, this work would cease. There was simply no other way to get these other gifts. The gift that we are considering today comes when we put trust and faith in Jesus. Paul asked the church in Galatia, This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Notice first that one of the options on the list wasn't by laying on of the apostles' hands. We receive the Holy Spirit when we hear the gospel and have faith in Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 to 14, Paul shared this with this church. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Now, we will cover this passage later in greater detail, but notice at what point the Holy Spirit becomes a gift to us. After listening to the message of truth, which is the gospel of our salvation, when we demonstrate trusting faith, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given to us. Again, it is not something from the Spirit, but He Himself that is given to us. This is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Are there any other contexts in the New Testament, though, that would confirm the points that we have made thus far, namely that we receive the Spirit as a gift in our baptism into Christ, and that there is a difference between the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit? We can further see this distinction if we turn over to Acts chapter 8, verses 12 to 24. Philip preached and the Samaritans obeyed the gospel in baptism in verse 12. And we know the gift of the Spirit was given because in Acts 2.38 it tells us that after we repent and we're baptized, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The same is also said when we obey in Acts chapter 5 and verse 32. Prayers were then offered by the apostles for them to receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit in verses 14 through 16. 
So at baptism, they were sealed with the indwelling spirit, but they still needed an apostle to lay hands on them to receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit, verses 17 and 18. One of the converts by the name of Simon tried to buy with money the ability to give people this gift or these gifts. And Simon is told that money cannot buy the ability to give these gifts, and he needed to repent or perish for his heart of sin in verses 19 through 24, proving that no one other than the apostles could distribute these gifts. Since there are no apostles today to bestow the gifts of the Spirit by the laying on of the hands of the apostles, Paul said these gifts of the Spirit would cease. We cannot propose that they still exist. The gift of the Holy Spirit that remains is received at baptism. The only gifts of the Holy Spirit that remain, according to the Apostle Paul, now are faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. 1 Corinthians 13, 8-13. Besides, in every case where the baptism of the Holy Spirit took place and the apostles laid hands on Christians to receive his gifts— there was a specific reason where God was showing his approval of a defined group that formerly would not have been viewed as welcome to receive his eternal blessings. James Hamilton identifies an important point about the times when the Spirit was given in this apostolic measure in a filling or in a Holy Spirit baptism. He wrote that the purpose in each case was this, bringing out the church in Acts 2, bringing in the Samaritans in Acts 8, the Gentiles in Acts 10, and the disciples of John the Baptist in Acts 19. And just as God gave his stamp of approval, he says, to the church at Pentecost, these inbringings necessitated convincing proof. These cases were rare rather than being the norm, and the only consistent gift that was given in every case was the gift of the Holy Spirit following our baptism into Christ. To get an even clearer overall picture of this difference, we can also go to the book of Romans. Without going into great detail, Paul opens his letter to the Christians in Rome by expressing that he could not wait to come and be with them so that he could impart to them the spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 1, verse 11. Now we know from this letter that the readers were baptized believers and they had already received the gift of the Holy Spirit. But Paul wanted to further equip them with specific gifts of the Holy Spirit for their work in the church so that they might be established. He describes these gifts in Romans 12, verse 6, when he stated, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. These gifts were important to the church in its early years because without them, many aspects of the work could not be accomplished. We know that these Christians already had the gift of the Holy Spirit because of what it says in Romans 5 and verse 5. Paul explains, The love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The Holy Spirit has been given to those justified by faith in Jesus. Paul also mentioned that the Spirit is in our hearts to the church in Galatia when he wrote in Galatians 4, 6-7, Because you are sons... God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. The Spirit of God lives within us as children of God. What a powerful reality for us to enjoy. Now that we have deciphered the differences between the gift of the Holy Spirit and the spiritual gifts from the Spirit, along with proving that everyone in Christ has the gift of the Holy Spirit, the question before us that remains unanswered is this. 
what is the purpose of the gift of the Holy Spirit and His indwelling in us. This we will discuss in our next episode titled, The Indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening. As we conclude today's message, let me remind you of our special offer that is connected with this series. If you partner with NetCast during our third season, I will be sending you the complete PowerPoint outline on the leadership of the Holy Spirit. But I'm also including the Discovering Your Spiritual Talents survey. This will open your eyes to the specific areas where you will be best suited to serve the Lord and His Church. If you want to become a partner or make a donation, you can send PayPal donations using netcasthost at gmail.com or visit patreon.com forward slash netcast to learn more about how you can get on board with this podcast. If you are not able to support this ministry effort financially at this time, would you please consider doing one of the following? First, please subscribe and continue to be a dedicated listener. Next, please share Netcast with your friends and family and encourage them to subscribe. Finally, consider leaving a review for the podcast so that your positive feedback could encourage others to listen. Take a few moments this week after we sign off to visit our website at netcasthost.com. Here you will find transcripts of the podcast on the blog. You can sign up for our free newsletter, become a member, and join Netcast absolutely free, which will give you access to hidden portions of the podcast host site like our members forum and so much more. Don't forget to check out our social media sites on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Be sure to like and follow the podcast as we use these sites to keep you current on what is happening at Netcast. All new episodes are announced on these media outlets. Before I leave you, I want to ask you a trivia question for our next episode. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 11, how does Paul say that we can be certain about having life for our bodies in a resurrection similar to Jesus? If you know the answer, please visit our trivia link on the website at netcasthost.com forward slash trivia. If you provide the correct answer, you could be featured on the next episode. God bless you richly in Jesus Christ, our Lord.